Hello, welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 1, Episode 25. In this episode, I'm joined by Mara to talk about inspirational romance and the recent controversy surrounding the Vivian Award and the RWA, Romance Writers Association. Mara is on YouTube as Books Like Woe, talking about books, and also has her own podcast, Changeling Cast, where she's been going through every book in the Psy Changeling series by Nalini Singh, which is great. You can find both of those things linked in the show notes. If you guys enjoy the podcast, I'd appreciate it if you take a moment to rate and review us so we can continue to reach more listeners. And if you're interested in getting early access to episodes, as well as exclusive bonus content with all of our guests, consider supporting us on Patreon. Huge thanks to all of our supporting patrons, including our world-expanding patron, Trina. You all make this possible. Mara, thank you for joining me to talk about this today. <laughs> it's gonna be... Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, I I feel like there's a lot to talk about here. We've kind of both been on a live stream discussing this in more detail of like the timeline of what happened. Um, so I will link that down below for anybody who wants a more deep dive with some other people as well into exactly what all happened. I don't know that we're going to get into all the details here, but we were also together. <laughs> we, we, we saw the news together. So that's true. This is like That's our true. third encounter on this topic together. That's true. I mean, yeah. there's, uh, there's just so much to talk about. And I, I feel like you're particularly a good person to have to talk about this because of your background. So maybe to sort of set the stage, we'll do this in two pieces. First, maybe we can talk about each of our backgrounds with the topic and why this is of interest, and then kind of a brief overview of what happened and why there's discussion around this. So um, I grew up, actually, my parents were not fundamentalists, but um, it's a long story. Basically, they sent me to fundamentalist evangelical school. So in terms of like my main influence in my faith journey, it was fundamentalist evangelical Christianity. So that is definitely kind of the faith tradition I have come out of. I sort of hit, I don't think at the time I realized it, but in retrospect, I was having sort of a crisis of faith um, coming out of university and into my early 20s. So I actually ended up putting my um, like technology consultant career on hold to go get a master's of religion, basically. And my focus dissertation was on essentially inspirational romance. Like, why is this a thing was kind of the question. And I used Jane Eyre kind of as a example of a very theologically motivated romance and kind of was discussing why, you know, clearly it's possible to have a romance that is very deeply spiritual, like completely filled with Christian imagery, Christian themes, etc. But that is like a great work of art versus kind of what most inspirational romance has kind of the journey that that genre has taken. That was kind of the area of discussion. So all that to say, inspirational romance definitely has been a big part of sort of like my overall thought life on romance. And I should I should disclaim, I don't in, uh, identify as an evangelical anymore. Probably Christian agnostic be the best label for me. So just to kind of put that out there of, you know, I know certain points of view would see that transition out of evangelicalism as sort of negating any authority I have to talk about this. So I just <laughs> want to go ahead and put that out there uh, and let people draw what conclusions they will. 
Yes. And so for me, I guess there's two pieces to this that I think are are relevant to our conversation today. One is I did grow up in a conservative evangelical household. My parents were. I went to an evangelical Christian school for several years and was very much raised in that tradition. I also would no longer consider myself that. I do still identify as a Christian, but a fairly liberal, progressive Christian. Uh, and, you know, it's it's been interesting because inspir- Christian inspirational romance I read a lot of as a teenager. Uh, and I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about that, so we'll get into it. And I went back to them a couple of years ago for a video project on my, my main YouTube channel, rereading them and it, it was very interesting the, <laughs> the experience and again we can get into mm-hmm. all of the details of like what you find in inspirational romance and what some of our problems with it are not all inspirational romance which again we'll, we'll clarify a little bit but but there's so that's part of my background and why this is something i find to be of interest the other part of this is that a lot of the reason this is coming up in discussion right now is because of some things we're going to talk about that happened with the first Vivian Award with the RWA. And I was a judge for the Vivian. I did not read for the inspirational romance category, but there were some other problems with the judging process as well. I documented that in a vlog again on my YouTube channel, Beautifully Bookish Bethany, if anyone wants to see that saga of six six months Ooh, it was you you was suffered i mean you, you would dm me and just i mean if if people consume bethany's content they know you know she's a pretty positive person she tries to find like good things to say about almost anything she reads which you know understand that's just kind of her approach but she was yeah. truly unhappy for a good portion <laughs> of that entire process because it just was uh. not uh it was not all rainbows and sunshine in no. the Vivian uh, judging land for you. Oh man, it really wasn't. It w- it was rough. I mean, there were you know there were a few really good ones that sure. I read, but but it was yeah it was it was rough. <laughs> I know I know some of the people who do follow me and know that were were very excited to see me get angry about books because it's not something I do very often. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so. It's not an everyday thing, but uh, no. you know. No, but it's enjoyable when it comes around. Yeah, you know. Um, Okay, so maybe we can lay out a little bit of background of what what is the Vivian? What happened? And and I can kind of start with this and you if you want to jump in and we won't get into all the nitty gritty because it's complicated. But yeah, I mean, it's a lot has happened over the years with the RWA and these yeah. awards. We would be here for quite some time. So maybe we oh. can just restrict ourselves to like specifically the history per- pertinent to the inspirational right. category. Right. So the reason the the Vivian exists as a new award is because the RWA has had problems in the past with you know, diversity and representation. And Mm -hmm. so they said, well, we're just going to scrap our previous award. We'll start a new one to fix this problem, which was not fixed. I mean, we could talk about, like, that's a whole other issue. Broadly, it wasn't fixed. But particularly, (sighs) like, like the height of this being a problem was with the inspirational romance category. And this, I think, before had been called 
what what because they changed the title of it right it was like it used to be inspirational romance and they changed it to romance with religious themes trying to broaden it mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah well i think i think the the thought was um we don't well we this will this branches into the whole history of inspirational romance which maybe we can save for later but basically like <laughs> i think they were trying to say like hey this doesn't have to just be evangelicalism this could be any kind of religious tradition like books that have big themes around that right. i think was the thought process yeah i don't know how well that worked out for them but i think that was the idea and you know, so there had been all this conversation around, okay, we're going to be more inclusive, we're going to be more diverse and more sensitive in how we do things. And then they released the finalists for the categories. They go through three rounds of judging. After the second round, they release the finalists. And in the inspirational romance category, <laughs> one of the finalists was a book called At Love's Command. And in the prologue of the book, I believe it's the prologue, we find out that the man who's going to be our hero participated in genocide of indigenous Americans. Native Americans, indigenous people. Um, yep. Yeah. <laughs> so. Which is a lot. It's a, it's a, a lot. Big, a, big, a big note to start your uh, happy ever after story on yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> a heavy place to start oh man it's it's rough and i haven't i haven't read the entire book i have read some excerpts from the early part of it a little bit and yeah. that's a good point we should disclaim we have so, not yeah so we have not read it not read the entirety. whole book so again if that just if that disqualifies us from discussing this then you, you probably aren't even listening to this but you know. <laughs> probably not we'll, we, we'll we, put I, it out there <laughs> yeah i mean i know that i have read thoughts from people who did read the entire book so i've read reviews of it from yeah i read the that, prologue but, but i didn't yeah. read the whole book no same uh but yeah so the prologue begins with this with with genocide and partially blames the indigenous people which is yeah i mean pretty directly i felt like yeah and from what i understand not direct knowledge but from what i understand from what people have said the hero ultimately isn't really even remorseful and we can get into like the history of what this is supposed yeah. to be and, you know but but isn't really even remorseful for what he did he just feels bad that they had to kill women and children that and i did see that quoted so possibly that was misquoted but the quotes that i saw floating around suggested it wasn't like oh man like upon reflection of my actions like i see that this was awful and i was participating in like you know destroying a culture or, or i mean you know again i i know people get hung up on historical accuracy which is like you know how i feel about that yeah. <laughs> like again, I have a whole video essay about why yes. i think that's such a problem but you know i can get if you wanted to put it in different kind of language but there was no from what from the quotes i saw there was no signaling from the author kind of outside of the text that she had awareness that what she had depicted on the page was genocide like i it seems like neither the characters had that kind of awareness nor did the author sort of metatextually signal to the reader like hey reader in 2021 i know that you know that this is not good so yeah. we're on the same page there and these characters are like 
going on a journey. That didn't yeah. really seem to be the tone. No. Yeah. So, so this gets announced back in, I mean, what was it, April? Beginning of May? I mean, we've been hearing about this book since the spring. Yeah. Yeah. It's so a few yeah. months. Yeah. So they announced this. Of course, people were angry, understandably, and Twitter kind of blew up. And, uh, you know, I, you know, and maybe I shouldn't, I, I, I throughout this have given the RWA so much benefit of the doubt more than I think they probably deserve, to be honest. Um, well, but it, sometimes it's like, it helps to show just how bad things are of like even giving people all of the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. It's yeah. still bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, cause they didn't do anything about it. And I thought surely they won't let this book win. Like that's what I thought was happening. I was like, okay, they must just not want to like get into it, but surely someone is going to step in and like keep this book from winning. Yeah. We did learn that night that the integrity, pro the integrity of the vote in Ooh. terms of like whoever gets voted seems to get the award. We did get validation there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't let anyone win who gets Yeah, apparently. Well, although, okay, so, and, and I mean, we can talk about, like, some of the stuff with the judging that came out later. So all of this happens, they do the award ceremony July 31st, and at Love's Command wins for inspirational romance. It sure does. Which, you know, as you said, we were on a live stream when this happened, and jaws dropped. <laughs> we were, it was like I mean, we were it was, shocked, but not surprised, if that yeah. makes sense. Like we were like, oh wow, they yeah. actually let this happen. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yes. And yeah, I like that just kind of floored me. So of course, understandably, everybody was upset. And the president of the RWA initially came out kind of doubling down on this decision. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, I think a lot of what she said gets into the history of what inspirational romance is, which is interesting. I'm going to put a pin in that for a little bit later, but kind of doubling down on this and among other things saying, you know, all these people saw it and nobody had a problem with it, which come to find out. Turns out. That was not the case. Yeah. Um, we know that there was a, at least one judge who had a problem with it. And when she spoke out, got removed from judging. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Which is a great way. You know, like it, it does solve your problems. If like someone is raising concerns, just don't like get, get, let them be involved anymore. And then you don't have anybody telling you not to do something. So right. it's easier that way. Totally solves the problem. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I and I had somebody who commented on my vlog saying that she had judged inspirational romance. And because of formatting issues, because this is a whole other thing, like they gave us PDFs and not everybody like I joined Kindle Unlimited so that I could have a better reading experience for the books I was judging. They were only required to give PDFs. So because of formatting issues, she said she couldn't read most of the books she was assigned and still judge them i guess and like i don't know i don't didn't quite understand the comment it was a little yeah that seems like so a i'm a little yeah so i'm also a little concerned about like the validity of who anyway so there's a lot of issues clearly going on here but she kind of doubled down and then you know outrage <laughs> and then what was it a day or two yeah. later a day or two later 
Well, which is, we, I know we're not doing the full RWA rundown, but this is a classic RWA move is that they yeah. do something dumb. Then they come out, like they refuse to say that it was dumb. They like double down. And then a day or two later when they don't like the response, then they try to backtrack, um, which is basically what happened here. And I think they tried to say like the president, she was just speaking on her own behalf. We don't agree with this. And we are uh, removing this award from the book. Yes. Which is a good idea, but legally... Yeah. Yeah. Because they, I don't know why, because every competition I've ever seen does this, but they didn't build any language into the rules of the competition that gave them a backdoor to be able to legally take away prizes for reasons like this. So they're opening themselves up to a potential lawsuit. (laughs) And again, we're not getting into their full history, but they're already in a pretty precarious financial situation from what we can tell. And so between the number of people who have withdrawn their memberships in light of this debacle and possibly maybe getting sued. We don't, we're not lawyers. We don't know, but it seems like that's a possibility from what the speculation has been. Yeah. We may, we may be seeing the end of this organization. Yeah. Um, yeah. Through a series of, uh, I would call them unfortunate events, but it's it just seems like they just can't get out of their own way. So it's kind of sometimes it's a little hard to feel bad for them because it's just like, yeah, guys, come on, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess I should say like outrage and also people return who won awards returning their awards in protest mm-hmm. was part of what happened. Okay, so this is this was the situation. <laughs> For anybody who wasn't following this closely. Yes. So now here's here. And this is why Mara, I wanted to talk to you because you do have so much background in this. Talk to people about what is inspirational romance? What is the history of inspirational romance? And like, how did we get where we are? Basically. Yeah. It's like, I want to, you know, again, I'm going to try not to nerd out too much because I'm like, I literally wrote an entire thesis about this. So I want to be like, like, here's, um, but um, in a nutshell, inspirational romance arose around the same time that kind of like modern romance emerged. So it's widely considered the first modern romance was Kathleen Woodowice's The Flame and the Flower. And just a couple of years after that, the first inspirational romance came out, which was, I believe, Love Comes Softly by Jeanette Oakes is considered to be the first inspirational romance. Which is so interesting. I definitely read that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's still (laughs) like, like, yeah, it's it's a a classic of that subgenre. And basically, the reason it's inspirational romance is, is honestly kind of coded language for romance novels written by and for evangelical women with the rise of this popularity of romance that was, you know, sexually explicit. And hey, I know when we look back in the 70s and 80s to the bodice rippers today, we would not see those as very liberating or very progressive. But in their moment, they were depicting women having and enjoying sex. And that was something pretty revolutionary in that time. I mean, it was kind of an outcropping of the sexual revolution of the 60s. And so it's sort of continuing that trajectory. And so conservative evangelicals do not want women reading about sex on page necessarily. They definitely don't want unmarried women reading about that. So this sort of response is, okay, how can we make 
a version of romance that is sexually not explicit and um this and this is where we could get into like really a whole tangent there's this rich tradition within evangelicalism of what i would probably describe as didactic fiction mm-hmm. where evangelicalism is a highly literature-based subculture like and bethany you're aware of this because you come out of it but there's this expectation that you're always reading things like you're always yeah. reading kind of lay devotionals you're reading lay theology or just something related to your spirituality like that is a huge part of evangelicalism so this kind of fiction is really sort of like a natural outgrowth of that already existing like book culture yeah and it is interesting to think about i mean i would argue that it is in some ways an interesting feminist tension that gets introduced into evangelical subculture because we now have women writing for other women and in a conservative culture that where women are not allowed to speak, they are not allowed to teach. We now have women essentially teaching other women. If you ask evangelical women how they think about this reading, they will very frequently talk about this as a devotional act. So it's not just, and this is this gets into this controversy, it's not just that it is Christian fiction in the sense of it's not sexually explicit, if there is any kind of on the page, you know, sexy times, it is always going to be between married people, or it's going to be explicitly condemned as like sinful and bad if it's not within the bonds of marriage. It's not just that, it also is meant to have some kind of spiritually enriching themes and devotional element to it. Yeah. So that's where some of these controversies and these content things get particularly problematic and why so the statement that the president got in trouble for was basically saying like hey this fiction has a redemption arc like that's a part of this subgenre and people got really mad at her for saying that but honestly she's not wrong in terms of like the history of the subgenre that is a huge part of what how these books are supposed to work so yeah, anyway, yeah. that's like Cliff yeah. Notes version of like yeah, the history yeah, yeah, yeah. of inspirational fiction. Yeah, <laughs> which is really, it's really interesting because one thing that I hadn't thought about until I saw somebody else talking about this in a, in a video a few months ago was, you know, similar to what you were talking about as inspirational romance being Christianity, evangelical Christianity's answer to the romance genre. I, like looking back, other things I was reading, like, Frank Peretti and oh my gosh, uh, coming darkness. But like Frank Peretti and who was the other um, Timothy LaHaye, like the Left Behind. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole sort of like apocalyptic fiction tradition. There's been yeah. Well, but like, but I think specifically Frank Peretti and there's why can't I think of his name now? There's another guy who is still writing. Oh, Ted Decker. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With the two K's, which I right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what I think is interesting is that I think Frank Peretti and Ted Decker are kind of, were kind of evangelical Christianity's answer to Stephen King. I heard somebody Mm -hmm. say that and I was like, oh yeah, Yeah. that makes a lot of sense. And similarly, they were horror novels with spiritual devotional themes to them. And, uh, you know, and it's interesting looking back because a lot of what I read was either like classics or mm-hmm. these sort of evangelical versions of fiction subgenres. 
Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. very much at our school. That was sort of the, you, you were either reading sort of like literature, literature, um, mm -hmm. or you were reading Christian fiction. Like that was yeah. sort of what was acceptable. And, you know, there was like a couple of times like people would, you know, start reading some like Mary Higgins Clark on the side, like, ooh, scandalous. Yeah. But in general, like those were really right. the two main things that you were reading fiction wise. Yeah. I think our, well, so I went, I mean, and, and the thing is, is like, I was in a more liberal area of the country. So like the yeah, other, that's a good point. So, I grew up in the Bible Belt yeah. and you grew up in, I, I was in, so I was in Oregon, like Portland, like outskirts mm -hmm. of Portland for this period of my life. And so like the controversial thing that like half of us could read and half of us couldn't was Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, that was very controversial. So we, so, so in my circle, we read Harry Potter, but there were, it was a very divisive issue at our school yeah. because oh, there yeah. were parents who like, it was not, a, it wasn't in our library, for example, because yeah. there were right. a lot of parents who felt like it was um, dark-sided. Oh yeah, no, 100%. It wasn't in our, <laughs> our library yeah. either. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's, it's just interesting. And I don't, you know what, the, it, it would be interesting to go back and look to because I actually am, am remembering there was a little series of books and I don't remember who wrote them, but they were also, I know we're talking about romance, but like they were also Christian horror and they had like for teens and like one of them was about aliens, but the aliens ended up being demons and people thought they were aliens. And, like, yeah, that, like, that checks out. I mean, <laughs> like it sounds like kind of maybe like Goosebumps or yeah. um, meta, what was it? Metamorphosis. Do you remember those books? Like where they Animorphs, like, yeah. Like it sounds like yeah. maybe those kinds of ideas. Yeah, but. I think it was like those, but Christian. <laughs> there are some hilarious Christian movie trailers out there where like it is basically horror, but instead of like a monster, they are demons. And um I'll try I'll try to find one to send to you because it is okay. honestly one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. But at the time I thought it was terrifying. I mean, as a young person, I was like oh my yeah. god like this is how the world is so okay so this is the thing moving back, pivoting back to romance as the like, topic yeah. of the of this is i think having gone back and reread some of the things that i loved when i was a teenager i think the things that really stood out to me reading them now were like you said kind of this redemption arc of having even like there's a very very popular don't hate me people who listening but there is a very popular still popular book redeeming love by francine rivers and yeah, it's pretty horrifying honestly like yeah it's it's a lot i mean but i loved but it, it. Love I, it. I mean, people oh, love it people still love it and one of the things with that is that there is a redemption arc for our heroine's brother-in-law who sexually assaults her and then he has a redemption arc, not a very good one, where he ends up like marrying a sweet young virginal woman at the end of the book. Yeah. And I mean, he assaults her and I'm not going to say the book approves of it. And I'm not going to say the book necessarily says it's her fault. But I'm also not going to say that it goes to any pains to make that clear that like, because in the book, she's a sex worker. Yeah. And there is a kind of feeling I feel from the narrator that is very patronizing or very whatever, like, oh, this poor little sex worker, she knows not what she does. That's kind of the vibe. And mm -hmm. so 
there is a, I don't know. I feel like there is somewhat of a feeling or an insinuation that because she's a sex worker, she she has to kind of expect that she might get assaulted. Like that's a result of her choice to be a sex worker, um, which is, I'm sure what I thought when I was an evangelical. Yeah. But now looking back on it, it's exactly. horrific. Well, but yeah. it tra I mean it really tracks though with this evangelical idea of putting the burden of purity on women. Um yes. where it's you know, if like like how many times we were talked to about modesty and the importance of modesty was to not cause your brother to stumble because if a man is being lustful, it's your fault. Because you yes. weren't modest enough, which I have so many problems with now. But that's... Well, it's this kind of Madonna whore type messaging towards girls where you are both like, women don't want sex. Women don't, you know, they just, they give sex because their husbands want it. Right. At the same time, this idea of like, well, all women are like, tempted pots of temptation that are right. just there to cause men to sin and they're yeah. using their sexuality to manipulate men so it's like this whole <sighs> it's this weird. very dichotomous yeah. message that always leads back to women's pleasure not being important to women's choices not mattering in the context of sex right and women um not having any kind of encouragement to uh consider their own own desire pleasure um sexuality like yeah you know obviously yeah. conservative evangelicalism is very compact <laughs> towards um everyone but women are definitely included oh in that. yeah no 100 percent. well and i mean i think this is part of why like i was 30 before i was like oh maybe i'm not quite as straight as i thought i was for most of my life is because mm -hmm. of that because i just thought and maybe was told at some point explicitly that like it's normal for women to sometimes be attracted to other women that's just the thing it doesn't mean anything and yeah. so you know i mean like i am happily married and monogamous monogamous marriage with a man i have been for like 10 years now but uh but i think that was an interesting journey of like coming to realize that so late in life and i know i'm not alone i've heard so many women mm -hmm. with similar stories because especially if you're bisexual or pansexual like there's this just assumption of like well if you're attracted to men fine what's so just, good that's great what's this. the problem like there's yeah. there's no yeah. problem because um, if you are gay often in the in the conservative evangelical world you are counseled to essentially even if not everybody endorses conversion therapy anymore some people definitely still do but mm -hmm. some don't yeah they yeah. still definitely encourage you to like well you can be gay and a christian but you can't act on it so right. like if you have a way to not even have to deal with this like bypass this then great like do that like you are in good shape then <laughs> yeah exactly oh man well yeah. and it's not even i think people who don't grow up in that mindset and maybe you know with the internet people i think are more aware of kind of what people get taught or have more awareness of it mm -hmm. but it was a fun it's been a fun game for me throughout my life to like drop the little nuggets of like, oh yeah, like did you have chapel every six weeks to essentially shame all of you about how your boobs were leading men into hell? <laughs> no, just just yeah. me when I was 15 great. Oh, but like yeah, even sure. just things like masturbation, like oh yeah. That is 
by and large considered to be a sin. So even just like yeah. pleasure so much with shame. your own body is yeah. so shamed and so, you know, that's part, I mean, secular romance is essentially seen as porn yeah. by evangelical Christianity um, because it has any kind of description of sex yeah. that is could potentially be titillating. Well, I think what's interesting to me too, looking back, is one of the books that that got published as I was a teenager was this series of like every man's battle, every woman's battle. Yes. And yep. every girl's and, battle, every right. boy's battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what's interesting is in the woman's version of it, one of the things they would they did actually talk about romance novels and and essentially kind of place it as like if you are married and you're reading romance novels you are cheating on your spouse like <laughs> that's yeah well and i mean yeah because any kind of fan fantasy or mm -hmm. visualization of of a sexual scenario that doesn't involve your spouse is mm -hmm. by and large considered to be sinful yeah um so romance, which is interesting because when, so when I was doing my paper, like I was trying to dig up any kind of stats I could, and I should caveat because I was writing in the early to mid teens and a lot of the, the literature I was looking at comes from probably 2009-ish. So I want to caveat yeah. it's probably a little out of date by now, but at the time I was looking at it, statistically, women who read secular romances report higher satisfaction with their partners than women who mm -hmm. don't um, because they're more likely to appreciate sort of like the romantic elements of their partner or like to see their partner in a romantic light. Mm -hmm. And they're more likely to initiate sex with their partner than women who don't. Whereas evangelical women who read inspirational romances are statistically less happy in their partnerships. Yeah than women who don't read any romance or who read secular romance. And that's because part of the narrative that's pushed in inspirational romance is that the man is supposed to both be kind of your traditional romance hero where he's like sexy and, you know, mm -hmm. meow, like I want to, you know, like appealing to some, yeah. you know, romantically appealing. But then he is also supposed to be Jesus, basically. Like he's right. supposed right. to be this leader, this perfect leader who like leads his woman to righteousness and mm -hmm. it, whatever. And when they, when women compare, like no man can do that. Like that, mm -hmm. it's an impossible standard for as much as people give romance novels in general, kind of a wrap of like idealizing relationships. Like most secular romances show flawed people finding a way to be happy together, mm -hmm. whereas, and they're not explicitly didactic, whereas inspirational romances are explicitly didactic and they're showing you a man who is like impossibly perfect. So right. of course then when you're looking at your relationship, you're like, well, my husband doesn't, you know, hold my hand and lead me in <laughs> prayer every night and help me figure <laughs> out like, <laughs> how to, you know, whatever. Right. And he's, you know, doesn't know how to, you know, pleasure me potentially because he's never had any meaningful sex education having to do with, you know, pleasure mm -hmm. aside from just like tab A into slot B, I, you know? <laughs> so yeah. anyway, I just yeah. think it is interesting That's, to think through. Um, 
Yeah. Well, and I think, I think what they hope it is. (laughs) No, I don't think so. Well, and I think the, the, the other version of a hero is one who has a redemption arc and Mm -hmm. like an inspirational romance. And often in that case, part of what leads to his redemption is the woman being perfect. (laughs) Yeah. It's like one of the, that's a good point. One of the two people in the relationship basically has to be perfect Yeah, because one of the two people has to have this redemption arc. Yeah. Yeah. So it's either, and well, and I, and I think that's the thing is like the women having a redemption arc is like often them being like wild and spontaneous having to learn how to be more calm and like restrained, like that's their redemption arc. (laughs) Yeah. Or I mean like, you know what? Okay. The night in the dove by Lori Wick. This is one that we all loved when I was in middle school. Yeah. And um, she is like, she actually is a pretty unusual inspirational heroine. Now that I'm thinking about this, I'm not, I want to say I've not read this book in years. So like, I'm not necessarily endorsing this, but my memory of it is that she's sort of like the younger redheaded sassy sister in like medieval Scotland. And she is also an evangelical Christian, which is also kind of hilarious. Like they always have evangelical (laughs) Christians, like no matter what the time period. And I'm like, evangelicalism is a manifestation of Christianity that came with the enlightenment so like there were no evangelical christians and mara you don't care about historical accuracy remember (laughs) that is that is a fact okay yes but these are books like that are purporting they're very specifically trying that's what i always come back to i'm like i do hold inspirational romance to a slightly different standard because i'm like y'all are trying to teach people something like that is explicitly a part of your mission statement so but anyway so she but she uh converts her heathen husband through sensuous massages after he's been jousting (laughs) and i remember being very like scandalized by that as a seventh grader yeah oh man yeah it's funny one of the books that i reread a few years back was part of that series but it was one of the more like victorian eras the hawk Um, and the jewel the hawk and the jewel which yes oh my goodness like oh wow yeah that was like one of my main texts in my thesis because i was like Oh, holy imperialism, Batman. Well, like, imperialism and like grooming a child. Yes. I mean, yeah, it was so like disturbing. An she's an actual, she's like, I think 11 or 12 years old when they meet. Yes. And he's significantly older. And by the time they get together, she's like 16. And like, it's okay. It's, it's the 1800s. Oh my God. But it's so disturbing. Like the, like it, and it it's reads like grooming. Because that maybe if no. there was, but, it, but you know what? Had it, Daddy came. No. If you know that book, let us know because that would be an interesting book. But not with an actual child. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe not with I an mean, actual. Child. No, yeah, no, but yeah. well, and in some ways it does. Like the thing is, is like he he acts like a parent to her. Like the way he talks yeah. to her is like a parent. So it's very uncomfortable. Rereading that, I was like, Whoa. paternalism. You gotta love it. But I mean, like that's the whole that's the game that's yeah. she needs his guidance because she's been off in the you can't the see even podcast, but heathen quote unquote yeah. heathen lands right and she has to be brought back into the jesus fold so yes yep yeah but we should mention so we we've been talking this is occasioned by a specific scandal which was with genocide mm-hmm. of native americans right. but this is not the first time that these awards have had this problem because when i was in the middle of writing 
my thesis mm-hmm. there and I forget the name of this book it, we, it doesn't deserve to be mentioned by name but <laughs> there was a inspirational romance I don't remember if it won but it definitely was in the finals where it's a romance between I can't believe I'm saying these words out loud a Nazi officer at a death camp at a concentration camp and a Jewish prisoner of that wow. concentration camp and it is meant to be a retelling of the book of Esther yeah. Much as Redeeming Love is a retelling of, of Hosea. Hosea. Yep. And if you, peop, Christian women who read these books where they're retellings of biblical stories, mm-hmm. it's like doubly disturbing because it's not only that it's horrifying on the level of like, holy shit, you have a romance with a happily ever after with a literal Nazi yeah. and a Jewish prisoner. <laughs> yeah. Um, but also this is spiritual instruction about their holy text like they are using what they're learning from this book to interpret a book of their holy text yeah yeah i mean on the one hand i'm like women teaching women about the bible that's feminist but maybe not with nazis like maybe not or not with like sex workers who were sexually enslaved as children like i don't know maybe not with those things and you know, like maybe maybe we teach each other about like JL who like seduced someone and then k- killed the enemy by driving a tent peg through his temple. Like that's a cool yeah. story. Like I, I guess that's the thing is like there's but nobody talks about those women. And so this is the interesting thing to me is that like I've been I've come to realize that I think a lot of times evangelical Christianity likes to pick and choose the biblical heroines that they sort of lionize in these stories or uh, if we're going to talk about sex workers what about tamara who was like you know what judah you owe me a baby so Mm -hmm. i'm going to pretend to be a sex worker on the side of the road and when you go to the sex worker you're going to give me your fucking semen so that i can have a baby yeah how about that yeah and i'm going to be one of the great 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 grandmothers of jesus yeah yeah. Well, or Rahab, who was also a sex worker. There's a lot of sex workers in the There's Bible. There's a lot of like, sex workers. Like, in the, like God in the Bible, you're either workers. a sex worker or a um, mom. That's pretty yeah. much your Yeah, option. yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but, the, the, but the, the thing that's interesting to me is, like, they're not, you know, I mean, it's not necessarily, like, portrayed as, like, positive all the time, but also, like, it's kind of a mixed bag and I feel like there is a way like there's a reading of the Old Testament where you could be like God is hella feminist and the problem is these white men who have interpreted the Bible as not being that way uh anyway this is my like my my journey out of evangelicalism has been a lot of this kind of stuff of like thinking through (laughs) thinking yeah or I mean yeah yeah. I think I've come to different conclusions, but I, I like your reading better than the ones I grew up with. So I'll definitely take that over the ones that I got. Fair enough. But, either, but I mean, regardless, I do think it's interesting that there is some like picking and choosing of who are we going to talk about and use as a, as a moment of teaching. And it's the few heroines of the Bible who are, well, I don't know if they even are, but they can be spun i guess you could say as being more submissive and gentle and like i don't know like you can spin it into like, the, into the ideas of what you want yeah what you think like you want ruth yeah i think that ruth is often portrayed as a very like meek 
submissive yeah. to her mother-in-law. Like that's kind of the vibe. But then when you really think about what she does, she literally like goes in the middle of the night and like offers herself basically sexually to a man yeah. Yeah. because her mother-in-law told her to. Yeah. So it's like, if my mother-in-law told me to like, how far does submission go? Like, if we're, <laughs> like, would you approve of that in today's context? And it's like, oh, but it's in the Bible. So it was right. fine. But right. I think that's what's, yeah, I don't know. I think stepping away from the faith of my youth, I'm able to see many of those stories in a new light and think, I think, you know, reading the Bible as a how-to book is a very limiting lens through which to view uh, this text. And I think you're very selective about where it is a how-to book versus where it is metaphorical. So I will also just say with Ruth, I was definitely in Bible study classes where the question of what she was actually doing came up and the teacher was like adamantly like, no, she would never have done that. She was just laying at his feet. It was just a thing they did culturally. This was (laughs) like, no, that was not. A thing they did culturally (laughs) on, but yeah, like, I mean. (laughs) Nope. Yeah. 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 But anyway, I mean, I don't want to yuck anyone's yum when it comes to religion. Like, if it's still working for people, I'm not trying to. But I'm just saying, I think part of the problem with inspirational romance in particular, and inspirational fiction writ large, is that because it's so focused on being didactic, Mm -hmm. it begs the question of, like, what is it you're teaching? And that's where if you're not in the in-group of who is going to receive this lesson in a very specific way some of these lessons that are being imparted to non in-group tastes Mm -hmm. can seem pretty horrifying. And I think it is interesting kind of having been in the in-group and now looking in from the outside a little bit, having just a very different perspective on what you're supposed to take from some of these stories that to yeah. the in-group seem like, oh, that's such a beautiful lesson. And to the out, like, to the in-group, oh, anybody can be redeemed. Right. That's so that's so beautiful. To the out-group, it's like, I don't want to read about a Nazi being redeemed in my romance. Yeah. I just don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think one thing we I do want to clarify with this, kind of a caveat of this, is that, you know, when we're talking about inspirational romance, they're, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is white evangelical inspirational romance and uh, which is where it comes from originally yeah. but but I think I know where you're going with this yeah. and I agree <laughs> yeah but there are some um like for instance black authors like P- Piper Hughley for instance who write mm-hmm. inspirational romance that I think still has some of those spiritual elements to it but don't tend to have the same toxic issues that that show up or in- at least they're, they're, yeah, I think that you're much more likely to find a book that is not interested in being purely didactic on some level. Like, I think that non-white inspirationals tend to be more about, like, representing a part of somebody's life in fiction versus teaching about Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more like, hey, these are stories about people who for whom spirituality is very important. Right. And like that's a manifestation of their in their character and like in their life. Like so that's represented on the page versus yeah. the lesson imparting is often less 
prescriptive, holier, like it, it doesn't have the same sort of like devotional element to it often yeah. and therefore could be palatable, I think, to people who are not in the in-group. Yes. More so than white evangelical inspirational romance. Yeah. And I mean, I will also say, like, depending on the author, there's also some Amish romances that to me read more like what you're talking about. Maybe not all of them, but some of the more modern ones. There Um, is like a subgenre of like romantic suspense Amish romance that I think (laughs) is more readable because it's not, it's more like external conflict driven. Yeah. Well, and like, I've read a couple of things by Patricia Davids who like, they have faith, but like, that's not the focus. They just happen to be Amish. And it's more of like your traditional, like non-sexy romance with good characters. Yeah. So I think it depends on the, it yeah. depends on the author, but yeah, it, it is, it is a specific type that we're talking about. And I also think it's worth noting that inspirational romance has a lot of overlap with what you could call like sweet or proper romance that just doesn't have explicit sex on the page like there's a lot of overlap sure. but they're not always the same thing there are lines of romance that you know are not explicit but more secular so yeah there are plenty of people who don't want to read about sex on the page uh i don't understand that life but you know <laughs> There's plenty of that. So like, if there are people who just don't want to read about that, or like, it makes them uncomfortable, or maybe it does, you know, contradict their particular faith tradition or their moral convictions. Like, that's fair enough. And there's plenty of non-explicit romance out there that doesn't have the same kind of like, like moral. Yeah. Again, I keep going back to didactic. It doesn't have that didactic element to it. It's purely just like, hey, I want a romance that doesn't have anything explicit in it. Right, right. Yeah. And I like I like a blend. I read some steamier romance and I like to mix in some things that aren't. So like Vanessa Riley is great if you want somebody who isn't. Um, Mm -hmm. I also have done some work with Shadow Mountain Publishing and they have a proper romance line. And those books also tend to not really be religious. They're just not steamy and those can be fun. So Mm -hmm. Like there are places to go if that's something you want, or like the Harlequin love-inspired line. Not all of them, but a lot of those tend to yeah. be pretty good. And there so. are some Christian publishers who have a line of non-Christian romance that is also not explicit, and they're kind mm-hmm. of their what they see as more crossover titles for them. Yeah. So even Christian, there are some Christian publishers who have non-inspirational romance mm-hmm. but they are still non-explicit so it's yeah. sort of interesting because it is christian in the sense of who is publishing it yeah but the books themselves don't necessarily have like a didactic element to them. right which is which is interesting well and similarly like shadow mountain publishing their parent company is uh mormon but I think they're like the they're like the imprint that does more sort of widely secular titles, if that makes sense. Mm, which is, yeah, so it's kind of yeah, exactly. And yeah, like Thomas Nelson and like a few of those other Christian publishers have a similar, similar yeah, kind of line yeah. somewhere. Yeah, I mean, which makes sense. So yeah. you know, throwing that out there for everybody, there's you know, and I mean. I don't read a lot of this stuff now. I don't know. Well, I was going to, you know, I was going to say maybe things have gotten better, but then we're talking about Love's Command. (laughs) No, I mean, I do. I think that there's better quality Mm -hmm. these days. Like, I think you have more books that are better executed, Mm -hmm. but I think because 
not even just inspirational romance, but Christian fiction in general has to have that didactic element or that like devotional element. And it is very hard to have books that have like widespread appeal if that's one of your primary goals in the text. Right. Um, I think it's it's limiting. Whereas again, I mean, this full circle back to my thesis, like Jane Eyre is a book that has a lot of spiritual and theological concerns in it, but its mission is not to preach. That's just a part of the overall artistic vision it has. Right. Um, and I think it's difficult if a one of the fundamental raison d'etre of a book is to preach, it's just going to be hard for a lot of people to be super psyched to read a whole book of that. Yep. Who are not already kind of bought in. Right, right. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. And I don't, I don't know. I think one other thing that I did want to mention with At Love's Command, which is the, the book that kind of sparked the conversation in the first place, it's worth noting that it is uh, intended to be the first book in a series where, um, just hero, can't get enough. Yeah. So where the, the hero, has friends from his platoon who are the heroes of further books and one of them apparently is going to have a biracial heroine so i'm sure that's going to be handled so well that was sarcasm <laughs> i i won't be there to find out um no. <laughs> but god bless god bless anybody who has to read that who's not uh white <laughs> Yeah. Well, before we leave the topic, I do want to give a couple of reading, like nonfiction shout outs if people are interested in reading more about this subgenre. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, kind of like the seminal text of this area, of the subgenre is called Romance in God, Evangelical Women and Inspirational Fiction by Lynn Neal. And it's a sociological study about like the function of evangel of inspirational fiction for evangelical women. It's a little old, but it's still, I think, pretty widely referenced. There is one called The Thrill of the Chaste, like C-H-A-S-T-E. <laughs> I get it, I get it. The Allure of Amish Romance Novels by Valerie Weaver Zerker. So that one's about ro Amish romance. And then kind of a general Christian fiction, like examining Christian or inspirational fiction in general is Faith and Fiction by Anita Gandolfo. So cool. if people are interested in this, topic and they're nerds like me and are interested in some nonfiction. Yeah, we'll have that all there you go. Linked, linked in the show notes. So before yeah. we move on to talking about upcoming releases, the one kind of final thing I wanted to, to talk about here is, given all of this, what can or should the RWA do moving forward, assuming that they continue and have another, like a, a second year of the Vivian? I think that they should not have this category because I think that it's intrinsically set up to be for, I think their goal was to have it just be religious fiction writ large, but it's very hard if it's a genre that comes from a specific place to get away from those roots mm -hmm. and to have a broader readership. Because the reality is that most of the people who are reading these kinds of books are white evangelical women. Now I'd right. say that's followed by black Christian women. That definitely exists, but I think the vast majority are white conservative evangelical women. So even if you try to have books that are like Jewish romances, like can you imagine what you or I would have thought of the intimacy experiment? <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> you, were, you know what I mean? So like yeah. I just don't I don't know that 
the readership and therefore like the judging panel would ever be really fairly stacked for yeah. books that don't come out of this very specific worldview. So I say, oh, this is what we talked about. This yeah. is what I think they should do. Since they already have an erotic romance category, mm -hmm. we were talking about how they should just nix the religious bit and just have generally like sweet, a sweet romance or like a non-explicit romance category yeah. that has no specific religious element mm -hmm. to it and it's just like hey any book that doesn't have explicit you know, on page content, yeah. yeah yeah this or i think that makes but a i think lot the religious sense. things gotta go like no, i just I don't think it it's working <laughs> yeah i mean i feel like leave that to religious organizations to exactly to, to give awards for that i think and then you know they can enter yeah. into that category sure but it would broaden it yeah i agree yeah i agree well who knows if the RWA will hear or take it just life, but <laughs> we could solve all. We the could just problems. fix. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just <laughs> put us in charge, and we'll we'll fix it all for you. But I think yeah. I think that's the only viable route or to have any kind of category like that. But I think the religious. I, I just don't see how this is ever going to stop being a problem. So yeah. if you don't want to have this problem, don't have that category. Yep, I agree. I agree. Cool. Well, thanks for for doing this. This was. <laughs> Yeah, this was fun. You were good. For we got into Christmas. it. We did. Yeah. Uh, okay. So lastly, we're going to get into On My Radar, where I'll share recent or upcoming book releases in sci-fi, fantasy, and romance that I'm excited about. And then Mara will have the opportunity to share one as well. The books for today's episode will be released between August 31st and September 13th, with the exception of guest, the guest recommendation, which may include any upcoming release. So I've got a few. August 31st, we've got The Heart Principle by Helen Huang, which has been very anticipated i see mara like i've read it <laughs> i know i saw your review of it i'm still i i, I want to read it um it's very good but i do for people who like romance i will tell you i think please do some research about the content warnings mm -hmm. and please know that it's not really a romance it's more sort of general fiction with romantic elements which is a change from the rest of the series. So like, right. I like this book, but I just want to make sure people go into it with the right expectations because I think it could yeah. go very badly if you yeah. did. Yeah, I could see that. That said, yeah. if you're interested. Yes, this I follows... still recommend it. It's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this one follows violinist Anna Sun who accidentally achieves career success with a viral YouTube video and finds herself incapacitated and burned out from her attempts to replicate that moment. When her longtime boyfriend announces he wants an open relationship before making a final commitment, a hurt and angry Anna decides your face. Is this not what happens? This is the description of the book. I mean, it, so it is, but it's just okay. interesting that they clearly are trying to pitch it as a romance when that's like, not, this, <laughs> this is like the first five pages of the book. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, anyway. so it says, uh, a hurt and angry Anna decides if he wants an open relationship, then she does too. But her attempts at a one night stand with Quan fail because being with him is more than just sex. So that's kind of. That is true. Yeah, there you go. So yeah. that's coming out August 31st. And then I've got three books for September 7th. First is The Inheritance of Orchidea Divina by Zoretta Cordova. This is said to be a gorgeously written novel about a family searching for the truth hidden in their past and the power they've inherited. I'm excited about this. This is her adult fantasy debut. It's Latinx-inspired fantasy. Looking forward to it. The cover is beautiful. Then we have The Girls Are Never Gone by Sarah Glenn Marsh. This is a YA sapphic ghost story following a girl with a 
paranormal investigation podcast who visits the haunted Arrington estate where 30 years ago a teenager drowned in the lake. So I love that. Yeah. Description. Yeah. Yeah. And then lastly is The Bones of Ruin by Sarah. I don't know if it's Raleigh or Roughly, but uh, this is about an African tightrope dancer in Victorian London, a girl named Iris who's used to being strange. She is certainly a strange sight for leering British audiences, always eager for the spectacle of colonial curiosity. But Iris also has a secret that even strange doesn't capture. She cannot die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pretty high premise. Yeah. yeah. So um, those are ones I'm interested in. Mara, do you have anything people should know about? Yes. Okay. So I'm looking through my my September reading. So my favorite book that I have read in advance this year, period, comes out on September 14th, and it is The Love Hypothesis by Allie Hazelwood. It is a freaking delight. Okay. So it is, it's just trope candy for me. <laughs> it's fake dating. It's main characters in STEM. They're both biologists. He's a bio, a world-renowned biology professor. She is a student. She's a PhD student, but she's not his PhD student. So you okay. get like okay, mm -hmm. you get like the kind of hint of professor student, but without the, the awful actual problems. Issues. Okay, I can I like that. Yes. Yeah. Um, they go to a conference where there's not only one bed, but they are sharing a hotel room. So that's exciting. He is a grump. She is sunshine. <laughs> and they're just adorable. It started its life as Kylo, like Rilo, figure, what is it? Kylo Ren. Ray, 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 Raylo. 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 There you go. That's yeah. what I was looking for. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I just love this book. The writing is so light and lovely. Like it's a debut. It's mm -hmm. a great debut. I definitely want to read more from the author. It has workplace sexual harassment, so content warning there, but it has like probably one of the most satisfying endings to that kind of a scenario ever. And I was just like, mm, yes. Awesome. So um, <laughs> I freaking love this book. And if you look on Goodreads, it's like nothing but raves. I think this is wow. going to be one that pretty much everybody, if you like those tropes, right. if that's your thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It, okay. It's a crowd pleaser. Awesome. That sounds great. Check it out, everybody. Thank you. This was fun. Uh, again, this yes. has been Chapter 3 Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Chapter 3 Podcast. And you can find me on YouTube at Beautifully Bookish Bethany. The next episode will be available in two weeks. And this episode's bonus content will be available to patrons in the next few days. Thanks for listening.